Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a, a mother and a transgender son, uh, Marsha. And how do I say your last name, Marsha? Izumi. Izumi, A-I-Z-U-M-I. And Marsha is here in my home in Salt Lake City. She lives in California, but is here for a conference and. Over the phone, it'll be a little staticky, but I think you'll hear Aiden just fine. Aiden is driving in a car just after work um, in L.A. County. Welcome to the podcast, Aiden. Oh, thanks. thanks for having me. And do you have? Do you take your middle name? Your mom told me your middle name, or do you take your last name? Or, um, what should we call you, Aiden? Uh, I use I use Aiden and just my last name. Yeah, I have my middle name, but. I, like, I don't use it very often. I like your middle name, by the way, but okay. So, um, and this is a podcast for our listeners. Most of our listeners are of the Latter-day Saint Christian faith, and neither Marsha or Aiden have been involved with the Latter-day Saint faith. They grew up in a different faith. Um, and so, but a stake president in Long Beach um, had... Marsha and Aiden speak a couple times to that stake. Um, Emerson first, she was the stake president at Long Beach East Stake, um, sponsored a, an interfaith breakfast where he heard Aiden and Marsha speak, and then had uh, Marsha come speak, and then later had Marsha and Aiden come speak to that local stake. So we wanted to do what President First is doing and just have these two good people share their story. Um, you, will you just introduce what that's, Aiden, or if you can, will, will you introduce what that CCEJ Interfaith Breakfast was? So my mom might be able to explain it a little better, but I, um, if, if I'm recalling correctly, um, it's an interfaith uh, and intercultural breakfast uh, gathering, basically, that's held in Long Beach, um, and they usually have a theme. Um, and the theme they had selected um, kind of tied in really well with our story and just our experience. And so um, we were invited to be a part of that as keynote speakers and um, to share kind of a little bit about our experience with the hope of kind of um, finding more of that human connection versus, I think, some of the things that tend to be barriers, um, you know, for people. Um, when you're looking at things from a different lens or a different viewpoint. And that was deeply moving to lots of people. I think um, Marcia's told me she spoke over 200 times. She does this full-time around the country. With Aiden. With Aiden yes. most of the time. Uh -huh. So both of you have spoken 200 times. And I just recognize that, Aiden, when I first, I had to learn about transgender people from transgender people. It didn't work for cis people to tell me about trans people. And so when I started to listen to trans people, just like President Fursh, everything shifted for me. And um, so I'm glad he was able to come to that breakfast along with his dear wife, Darcy. And then I know that he, um, I'm just reading his text here, that both of you um, spoke to members of the High Council, the Stake Presidency Bishops and Release Society Presidents, um, and also met with a small group from the High Council. So... You have changed a lot of hearts, both of you, um, in the LDS faith, particularly in that area of Long Beach, where many people heard your story. And that's for our listeners. What really led to this podcast is um, to have you two, even though you're not of the LDS faith, 
help us understand better um, our transgender friends and, and also this beautiful love story between, you know, Marsha and Aiden. And now Aiden's married and congratulations. So that's kind of an overview for our listeners. And we're just going to spend the rest of the time sharing the story. So Aiden, will you just, I think you're 31 now. Um, and that is correct. Yeah, and have 31. A, and have a really good job. But take us back to when, you know, just when you started on this journey where you realized that you weren't straight or cis. And just share that journey with our listeners. Sure. Um, I mean, I can take you back pretty far. I, um, <laughs> I, I think I always knew, even as a young child, that I was different from my peers. I just think I didn't have the language or the terminology to really express what that was for me. Um, and I would say that goes back to being, I would say, probably around the eight, like beginning of elementary school years. Um, from the age that I could really identify the things that I was interested in, um, it was, I think, a completely different expect or different than expectation or the hope that I think my parents had for me, or sort of as a stereotypical young girl. Um, I was into pretty much everything my younger brother was into, which was like trucks and cars and. Uh, Power Rangers and martial arts, uh, and pretty much things that in the early 90s were still pretty gender, um, I think gender specific activities that tended to be geared towards young boys. And so um, I remember like friends never gave me a hard time about that, um, but they, I, I definitely did not have a lot of female friends who were doing the same activities that I was doing or interested in the same things that I was um, interested in. I connected the most with male peers, um, but I really didn't understand why I had this sort of connection or why I felt so much like a part of, um, you know, like a part of that group being one of the boys or kind of having a lot of male friends. I just, the, the terminology was so foreign, I think to me, um, let alone like accessible to, I think, just people in general. So it was um, not even a thought that crossed my mind. Um, I also learned though that being different was kind of uncomfortable and that not all kids are nice about um, people who are different. And so I learned really quickly to not talk about um, some of the things that I was interested in or that would draw uh, unnecessary attention to myself. Um, and that kind of, I think that's what sort of prolonged this self-exploration and sort of kind of my coming out um, until much later. Uh, <clears throat> so I think in elementary school, I definitely identified as a tomboy. Um, I dressed pretty much like all of my male peers did, uh, shorts and t-shirts, um, you know, and like, um, specifically like shorts, not that shorts and t-shirts are specifically male, but the shorts and t-shirts that I was wearing were definitely from what boys department of, you know, a store. And, um, and that sort of carried on for me, like all the way through, I got to, to be in middle school. Um, and I think that was where for me, I realized just how different I was from my peers was people became very um, interested in how you look and how you dress and the things you're wearing and 
the groups you're a part of. And I found myself in this weird place where I couldn't really find a group to belong to or that I felt like I could fit with. I had friends that I had kept from elementary school and they, um, you know, they were interested in joining the, the drill team, which was kind of like our middle school's version of cheerleading. Um, they were interested in, in, you know, the boys that they thought were cute. Um, and the male peers that I had sort of felt this connection with when I was younger, they um, didn't really consider me part of their group anymore because it was sort of a boys-only club. Um, and so I kind of found myself like stuck between two different, two different groups because, um, because I, I felt mo most connected to the boys who felt like I was still a girl and therefore could not be part of that group. Um, and it caused me a lot of anxiety. I struggled a lot with anxiety and depression. That's awesome. Um, and, and so it just got, it just got hard to be sort of like social because I just didn't know what to do anymore. I didn't know who I was really. I didn't have a really good sense of self. Um, I didn't really have a strong friend base anymore because of just the changes that, you know, we all went through as young, young people. And I kind of, um, it kind of caused me a lot of anxiety to try to figure out how I was supposed to navigate um, life at that point uh, as somebody who didn't really fit in to, to any group that I saw at, at that time. Um, when I got to be in high school, uh, I kind of thought maybe things would be a little bit better. Um, I went to a pretty big high school. My high school had close to 4,000 students at that time. To my knowledge, I think it's actually increased since then. Um, and so I figured statistically, I'm okay. Well, I should say I'm terrible at math. Um, but I thought statistically that, you know, my odds of finding somebody who is like myself or who um, had similar interests to me or just kind of maybe didn't fit the traditional mold. There had to be one person maybe out of these 4,000 people um, aside from myself. And I just could not find that person. And, and if anything, like I was so off base because the social pressures to fit in um, to a particular group or to have a group in high school um, was much stronger than I had anticipated it being. It was something that happened on TV. You know, there's like yeah. jocks and then there was like, you know, all these groups that you hear about and I'd watch on TV and I just thought this is not real, right? Like that's not how life is, but it definitely is, is real. It's not maybe as dramatic, but those groups exist. Um, and I was fortunate to have um, sort of a home base. I played golf since I was about the age of um, my dad. They really, really wanted my brother and I to be professional golfers and um, raised us sort of with that hope and dream in mind. And um, so I played golf all four years of high school um, and played relatively well. And so I, I did have a connection there. And, um, and, and I think that was really what made high school mostly tolerable or um, made it so that I, it, I wasn't as um, isolated. <clears throat> but um, when I got to my sophomore year of high school, um, that was kind of where I made the decision to come out the first time based, with, based on the knowledge that I had, um, and, and which was limited. Um, my like 
I don't know, my family in particular, I don't feel like I don't ever remember us like talking about sexuality. Um, and if anything, um, it, it wasn't something that came up. So I guess maybe that's why too, just never came up. So we never talked about it, but I just figured from my limited exposure to to information that um, I thought that at that time I was a lesbian because of my attraction to women that I, had, I think I knew I had at a very young age. Um, but I had no understanding of gender, uh, gender identity or, or the trans community. And so, um, I came out and unfortunately my school is, was not really prepared for supporting me as a, as a young, like LGBT student. Um, the students at my school were, um, also really not receptive to that. And so school, uh, became exponentially more difficult. Um, to the point where my senior year of high school, I just decided I was not going to go back to school. Uh, I had like one semester of school left and I just um, was having just kind of daily anxiety attacks and um, struggling to sort of um, to just function, right? To be a student and to, to pay attention in class and learn. And so um, I, I just told my mom, I can't go back to school. And she, um, you know, her background is in education. And so she was not going to just accept this, that her high school student was going to drop out of high school with one semester of school left um, and went to the school to try to find a way for me to still be able to finish, which she was very successful in doing. And so I finished high school with uh, basically through an independent study style format where I was giving assignments from, from home. I could email them to my teachers. Um, but did not really have to physically be on campus and be around people who were not going to be, um, you know, supportive or um, kind of understanding of who I was as a person, as a young sort of LGBT person. Um, sort of running parallel to that, my, I know you had mentioned before, my mom and I, um, you know, we didn't grow up in the, um, the LDS church, but we did go to a local church that uh, my my childhood friend, a bunch of us went to the same church, but um, my childhood friend's father was the pastor of, so it kind of fit nicely that we all went there and then, you know, we all go to school together. Um, and it was a church that I was baptized in and I went through confirmation in. And, um, and unfortunately, when I had come out, um, a visiting minister at the church uh, also decided that that place was not going to be suitable for me to continue to attend um, and to be a part of. And so, I sort of was like, I guess as a family, even like um, church had been a social place and a social community for us. Um, and school, obviously, at that age is a place of community um, for a young person. And so I didn't have really any um, other than my family, like remaining sort of social um, community spaces that I could go to and be like accepted and feel safe. In. Wow. Um, Let's see. I think I'm trying to figure out where I'm at now in my timeline. 30 years is a long time. I'm learning the longer we do this, the harder it is to keep up with. <laughs> I have more stuff I have to add, you know. Um, Just a comment um, for our listeners. Sure. This, you know, the goal of this podcast, I think, if you're LGBTQ, is to be able to hear somebody like Aiden's story so that you have somebody that's been on this road for, you know, Aiden's been on this road for 16 years or more, 20 years. And I think 
you know, I'm just glad we are hearing his story. But I also think it's really helpful for parents and local leaders. Marsha is going to talk um, about her role as a parent with, you know, and how she navigated this. And it's a beautiful story of a family coming together. It's just a love story. I call it a love story. Of As I've heard these two talk, I watched a clip, little YouTube video today, and they are just really helpful on, for parents on how you walk this space and keep your family together and with probably very little initial training. And that's why I think their advocacy group work is so important to mentor other parents as, as they're starting to walk this road um, earlier in the process. So um, do you want to share anything at this point, Marsha, or should we just have Aiden continue to share more of his story? Yeah, if he can continue, okay. because he's kind of at the lesbian stage. And okay, so we cut get him into the trans stage. Yes, absolutely. All right. I got it. And your, our right. listeners, just so everybody knows, Aiden's in a car in California, and Marsha's here in Salt Lake, and Aiden's wife is driving out. And so we're just praying that you drive safely, you two, and mm -hmm. and we don't hear any crunching oh, yeah. sounds she in the background. <laughs> yes, no, yeah, she's a, she's a safe driver. Yeah. I don't let too many other people drive me anywhere. I prefer to drive, so and I'm we, in safe hands. We know California traffic's non-existent, so we're never just flying along really fast. So we'll... <laughs> Anyway, uh, back. now now we've we've hit it now, so it's it's we're we're bare, we're going twenty miles an hour. There you right go. Now. Well, um, there you go. All right, Aiden, so, pick up your story, my friend. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I did. You know, unfortunate. My parents, um, specifically, I think in this instance, my mom was willing to go and advocate for me to finish school, and so I do have my. You know, I finished with my high school diploma, um, but and I had applied to go to school to go to college. Um, but I really was not mentally in a place that I could have handled that. And so I opted to not go to a straight to a four-year university um, and decided to take some classes at uh, my local community college. And um, to kind of allow myself that time, I felt like that I could, I thought maybe I would get over my anxiety or I would just, you know, meet other people or something would happen that would make it so I could, um, I think, live a little bit more of a fulfilling life and, um, and not just be filled with anxiety and stay in my house all the time. Um, and I still really did not have an understanding um, of trans people, of the trans community, of gender, um, gender identity. I thought that gender and sexual, you know, gender was just the cards you were given or the cards you were given, um, and you sort of make do with that. And so um, I had been going to a therapist who had encouraged me to really start to branch out and try to um, become more engaged with the my local like LGBT community, um, whether that be groups or events. Um, she just sort of gave me the task of attending um, something to try to give myself uh, more community and a sense of support and some kind of system that was not just my family, but also people that um, maybe identified similarly, similarly to me. And so I opted, um, strangely enough, I think it's sort of funny because I had all this anxiety and could barely leave my parents' house. Um, instead of opting to go to like a nice support group meeting somewhere, I opted to go to Long Beach Pride, um, which is one of the larger pride festivals here in Southern California. And, um, and that was really for me the first time I had seen just how diverse um, the LGBT community could be. 
um, and just its representation and um, whether it was something as simple as hairstyles or clothing to just this broad spectrum of identities. And so that for me was my exposure to learning about gender and just different gender identities and uh, kind of planted the seed in my head, I think, about why I felt this connection to that. And it felt, felt very familiar. Um, and yet I never had heard the words or like used them myself. And so I started doing a lot of research, um, not very calmly. Of course, I immediately was like panicked beyond belief because I felt like um, I had already come out. So I already knew who I was. And of course, like what 17 year old doesn't think they already know who they are completely. <laughs> and so um, I started asking um, my local PFLAG chapter, a parent there for some support. Um, they had shared they have a, they had a transgender child, and so I um, reached out to them to try to get some support and like just the sounding board. And uh, after a couple years of really kind of milling this over and trying it on for size of, on my own, sort of in the safety of um, a RP flag like youth support group, um, or trying it on like in the uh, I had joined like a mentoring program where I had a mentor. Um, kind of trying it on in these spaces that I felt like maybe I'll see if I like this or not. Um, and I ultimately decided like that felt, it finally felt like myself, like to try, try it on, which I thought was sort of funny was just to try it on, but that felt more real than just being who I thought I was. And so um, ultimately then I decided basically just before my 21st birthday um, to, to come out again um, to my parents and to my my family and um, and let them know that I had I how I identified that I identified as uh, transgender that I was planning to and would really like to transition to male and I just kind of hoped that they were going to be supportive of that um, you know uh, and still love me for who I was and so that's ten years ago and I I really appreciate you just kind of walking through our listeners some of the resources you went to to understand I love therapy and I love people that are clinically trained helping us make good decisions. Um, do you want to keep telling your story at this point or Marsha, do you want to talk about his life your, from your perspective up until 21? Uh, yeah, maybe I'll jump in at this point, okay. Richard. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't have a clue about much, you know. Um, like and I don't know, said, Aiden, if you can mute your phone, why we're hearing a fair amount of static, um, but it may not be from your phone. So we'll just keep talking. Okay. Go ahead, Marcia. All right. Okay. So I didn't know a lot, just like Aiden was saying. Um, and it was, uh, so I was a mother that really was confused many times, just struggling to figure out what was going on. And um, so I think in the beginning, I just hoped that it would go away. And that's kind of an Asian thing too. You know, you avoid it and maybe things would change, you won't have to deal with it. Um, but obviously I could see that things weren't changing. Um, Aiden didn't mention, he said he was withdrawn and depressed, but he didn't mention that uh, he eventually was diagnosed agoraphobic, and also he was suicidal. I think you're being honest about his emotional health, and most of the LGBTQ youth that I 
hear through this stage, it, depression and suicide or suicidal thoughts are pretty common, and you're kind of sharing that, and that's pretty scary for a parent. Right. And so I think uh, once Aiden came out as lesbian and things didn't get better, it was just a sign that there was something else that needed to be done. And we just didn't know. Like Aiden, he didn't know about the trans community, and I didn't either. Um, so we, you know, I went to PFLAG, which is a national organization, and it's a support group. And I listened to other stories, and I heard people that were struggling like me, and I heard people who had faced challenges and had been successful. So I just continued to go to get support. Um, Aiden didn't mention that he was physically assaulted on a number of occasions. Wow. And so it was scary for me. Um, you know, usually I... You know, I don't like to go to a support group and kind of bare your soul. That's just not uh, the Asian way because I am Japanese American. But when your child is being, uh, you know, hurt physically, then you look for any place to get answers to help. And because Aiden had come out as lesbian and wasn't getting any better, he wasn't happier. He wasn't, uh, he was going out and doing things. but you could just tell his his spirit was still uh, very dark and sad and uh, alone. So actually, when Aiden came out as transgender, it was a place where I felt like, uh, okay, we have to look at this. We have to look at this place um, because it may be uh, the place that we need to go, the path we need to go for our child to be happy and successful. Now, through this whole journey of all I'm talking about, I went through a lot of emotions. And I've heard people say, oh, I celebrated when my child came out. I did not. It's honest. You know, I, I felt so much shame. Um, and not I, I wasn't ashamed of him. I was ashamed of me. Aiden is adopted from Japan. And all I wanted to be when he was placed in my arms was a good mother. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I failed at the most important thing. So um, so anyway, um, I had to go through this process of overcoming shame. Uh, my husband and I had to overcome this grief and sadness because here we had a daughter for 20 years. And now, you know, what do we do with that, you know, um, to embrace our son? You know, how do we let go of that? So there was a grieving period for us. And of course, when people become transgender, when people uh, come out as transgender, uh, there's pronoun changes and name changes. And so my husband and I just struggled with that, which was really frustrating for Aiden. And yet he tried to be so patient with us. But, you know, my husband took, oh, I don't know, Aiden, uh, you know, Papa says a year. Uh, you and I think it was more like 18 months, you know. So, you know, but it was just a long time for Aiden to have to you know, hear wrong pronouns and names and, you know, and we're trying to get there and he's trying to be patient, but it, it, it's hard. So, uh, you know, there was that sadness and grieving that we went through. And of course, initially there was just a tremendous amount of fear. You know, what kind of life is he going to have? Is he going to find love? How is the society going to treat him? Can he find a job where he can just be himself and not have to hide who he is? So initially, we went through a lot of really negative feelings. 
Um, and so, you know, for people out there, just know that the, it is a journey, it is a process. And for some people, it may be shorter than others. Um, but for us, I think today, we feel like we have really um, dealt with the challenges and the feelings. And um, my shame today, I am so proud of him. You know, um, and I think that this was one of the gifts uh, that LDS meeting gave me was one of the people made a comment and um, and it was Emerson called, I, I don't remember her name, but he, he called her sister. So it's just one of the leaders, I think, in the group. And um, she said, Aiden, you know, you could be angry and bitter and hateful, listening to all the things that have happened to you but you are kind and compassionate and confident. And so I think, um, you know, that these, this journey that we've been on, the support that we've been given, uh, the resources um, have allowed Aiden not to sit in this dark place. And he has come to a place where he wants to give back because we've been given so much. So, um, you know, much of our grief, I think, today is gratitude for all the people that have been around us uh, and a lot of joy um, being together, knowing that we are a family and we're connected so deeply with love and appreciation. Uh, and our fear, I think, has really transformed into hope. And I think hope comes from not only the people that encourage us, but the people that are willing to listen to our story with open hearts and, you know, willing to try to understand who we are as human beings. Um, and so that, I think, has been some of the transformation that our family has gone through. I mean, I am so grateful for you, Richard, to have us on to share our story with your readers. Um, I am so grateful to Emerson and Darcy and that community. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, uh, we were a little bit nervous going into that community based on what we uh, had heard sure. about not uh, being really open. And I think that's been another gift that we've been given through the journey with the LDS community to know there are a lot of loving people out there uh, that are trying to support our community. And they're just trying to figure it out, just like I figured it out as a mother. You know, I didn't have the answers in the beginning. I was just really led by love. And it makes me cry when you say this is a love story between a mother and a son. Because really, that is, I think, the power of our story is the love. And the love we get from the community and from our family and the people around us that have given us so much courage uh, to be authentic and share our story and cry like a lot like I am. <laughs> well, on behalf of all of our listeners, Marsha, we'd all just like to give you a big hug because of your tender heart and, and being so honest. And that's what a great sign to me of strength is to be so honest with how difficult it was and um, the shame you felt, not for Aiden, but you know, just how you described it. I think that's a sign of strength. You can talk about that and the grief and the wondering. And I think that just helps others like me that are new on this road and 
and other parents go, I can identify with Marsha because she's pretty real. Oh, and she's pretty you. honest and you can feel her good heart and wanting to do the right thing and her love for Aiden. Um, so, um, Aiden, one of the questions in my mind is, you know, just how, how are you doing? How, I, I measure our kids' lives, you know, by are they happy? Are they um, being able to hold down a job, pursuing their dreams? Um, is their emotional health in a good spot? So we've got six kids at our home, and um, no one's quite your age yet, so we're all a little younger at our home, but most of them have left the home. And share with our listeners just how you're doing, because obviously you went through a really, really dark period of time, and now you're a transgender man, and you've been identifying as that for, I think, 10 years. Um, just share with our yeah, listeners how you're doing, and... Um, to give us an idea of how you've been able to move forward in your life or anything else you'd like to share. Cause you, you two share the story quite a bit. So I want to make sure you share what you want to share. Sure. Um, let's see here. <laughs> Try to figure out my own timeline. Um, it, you know, it took me a couple of years after I came out and sort of started my transition and, um, and, for me, my transition really was both socially and, and medically involved. So I did want to take hormones and I wanted to have, um, sorry, there's a couple motorcycles. So I was going to wait a second. Um, for me, so I did want to have, um, top surgery and I wanted to be on hormones. And, and then there was the process of changing my name and sort of doing all the court documents and all those things. And I, um, it took me time to adjust every time something like that happened just because I had to sort of find my footing again and figure out how is it that I fit into this sort of world and um, who am I when I interact with other people and, um, and kind of, I think all these things that probably um, I also went through, you know, sort of going through the age of puberty and sort of being a young adult and figuring out who I was, I was kind of doing all that again, except I was in my early twenties. And so, um, that was a little bit of a struggle. Um, but once I figured out a little bit more, cause I think, you know, as human beings, we're always kind of learning and, and evolving and changing. And, um, but when I finally kind of got, I think the core of who I was at a more foundational level, I, um, decided I wanted to go back to school. Um, I had started, um, dating Mary, who is now my wife, but when we were starting to date, um, she had encouraged me to try to consider going to, you know, going on to continue to do my bachelor's degree, um, which I had sort of dismissed college at that point. Um, right after high school, I had mentioned I went to community college. I was not very successful um, because I was still so um, sort of detached from my, my own life. I, I really was barely functional. So I think I didn't, I could barely handled day-to-day -day life, let alone, you know, writing essays and going to class and doing all that. And so um, I had been on academic probation at like two different colleges. And um, and so when I was in a much better place and I kind of started going back to school, um, she had mentioned, why don't you try to like transfer to a you know university and get your degree? And I was like, I don't know if college is really for me. I don't know if I'm, I'm an academic, you know, I'm kind of just a free spirit. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to work and do my own thing. And, um, but I, I ultimately, after we had discussed that for a while, I decided I would try. And so I 
retook all my classes, you know, replaced all my failed grades, and then I transferred to a local university here um, called the University of Laverne, which is a small liberal arts school. Um, and um, in, and then in 2000 and in 2015, um, I finished my bachelor's degree in liberal studies, which was supposed to sort of put me on the track to be a teacher um, because I had felt like I struggled so much in school that maybe I would be able to help, um, you know, help a young person who was similar to myself uh, just by being there as a teacher, um, you know, and to be a support or, a, um, you know, someone, someone that a student could come to. Um, and so I decided I would do that. And ultimately, by, by the end of my bachelor's degree program, decided that I actually did not want to be a teacher, um, that the actual act of teaching did not sound like um, something I really wanted to commit my life to. Uh, I love education. I love the act of learning, um, the curiosity that comes with it, uh, the look on students' faces when they get something, but the act of standing in front of a classroom and trying to teach lessons to young people did not sound appealing to me at all. And so um, I thought maybe I'd go into counseling. I, I really fell back in love with learning. And so I, after I finished my degree, I decided I'd go back to school again, do my master's degree, um, and tried to do the school counseling program. And I also just felt like there was just a lot of politics and bureaucracy involved in that um, that would limit my my impact, I think, on young people. So I changed courses again, which I'm really good at. I probably picked 25 careers throughout my adolescence that That's I thought okay. I would do. When you're old, and, old like um, me, and you'll be more at peace that you tried a lot of different things. So <laughs> I still am constantly trying to figure out what I want to do. when I, Well, I tell my students what I want to do when I grow up. And they're like, but you're already grown up, you know? And I'm like, That's what you think. But well, I don't know. I decided I would go to, um, I continue still my master's. They had started a brand new program, um, which is around technology used in education. So whether that's um, computer programs or apps on the iPads or um, using textbooks that are digital, whatever that may be, just sort of the integration of technology um, into schools, which is obviously very applicable now. Uh, they opened that up, and it was the second sort of cohort of this program they were running um, that happened to be started by a professor that um, I really, um, I really admire and was very supportive of me throughout my university experience. And so I decided that's what my master's would be in. So I ended up doing that program, um, finishing my master's last May, uh, so May of 2018. Um, so I have my master's in education, uh, with an emphasis in education technology and, um, and I'm currently, I'm working for a, um, a public charter school here in Southern California. Um, and I help, I do compliance work, which isn't glamorous at all. Um, but I also help to run our sports program for four locations. Um, so we're just providing sort of a. Uh, social emotional space for students to engage with each other, but also play sports and kind of have access to something they may not have had access to because our program is uh, independent study format. So they're not in a classroom setting that's um, like a traditional classroom. <clears throat> so I'm doing that. Um, my mom mentioned I got married. So I, I've been married since November of 2013. Um, 
to Mary, who I had started dating not long after I started my transition um, and who is safely driving me to my destination currently. Way to go, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think, um, thankfully, there hasn't been too many crazy drivers today, so we're pretty good. But, um, yeah, and so we met actually at our PFLAG chapter meeting. um, And I don't know, like, I... I tend to be able to tell pretty quickly if I can get along with somebody. Um, and Mary and I seem to just get along really well, pretty quickly. Um, we had both, I was dating somebody else um, at that time, but we just hit it off as friends and kind of our, I think that's what sort of made our relationship really strong was that we, when we met, there wasn't a, any sort of expectation or intention wasn't to date. It was that we were friends. And so it was built on a lot of just kind of without all the frills and um, trying to to impress each other. It was just pure friendship and built on that support. And so, um, yeah, we've been married for, I can't math fast enough, um, five and a half years. Um, We have a dog, our fur fur baby. Um, Congratulations to both of you. I love to hear people that find somebody to share life with. I always felt we're fundamentally social creatures. And just like you didn't feel in school and even in your faith community, a real connection, except with your family, that we're wired for connection and we're wired to share lives with each other. So I'm grateful, Aiden, that you have Mary and obviously your mother, Marcia, um, and that you've gotten on with your life. Look at what you've accomplished from an academic standpoint. That's a big deal what you've accomplished. I hope you understand that. And it takes, there's a lot of studying and a lot of long nights and a lot of wondering where this is all going to lead. But now to have this good job and a charter school and, and just sort of now opening the door for a wonderful career. Um, so congratulations. Um, that's awesome. And as a parent, that's what I just hope for, for my kids is they're able to get on with their life and make good choices. Um, I sometimes get analytical and I think, of, you know, with 10 being your best emotional health and one being your worst emotional health. And that's sort of when maybe we were close to uh, dying by suicide. Um, Where are you now Um, on that one to 10 scale with 10 being the best? And then where were you? Because I'm I'm just sensing that number is much higher. So give us a sort of quantify that for our listeners. Yeah. um, I would say, I mean, I, I think 10 is, pretty rare for probably most people that's honest um you know that there are moments right i have definitely i would say moments of tens a lot these days right um but i think maybe if you average it out between everything probably closer to like a seven or eight um i i had actually i so maybe i should give some context to this i um in high school towards the end of high school i guess just after high school i think i um i was seeing a therapist I made ultimately the choice to start taking some antidepressants to help with my anxiety and my depression. And then about six months ago, I actually made the decision to try to stop them um, because wow. I'd been on them for 12 years. I thought I will never know if I, if I can regulate myself. Was, was my transition a lot of that anxiety and a lot of that depression? Um, but I, I was so scared for a while to stop taking them. And every year my, my psychiatrist would ask me if I wanted to, 
Um, and, and I always had a reason. It was like, well, I'm getting married in six months. I don't think I should. And then I'm finishing school. I don't think I should. I'm starting grad school. I don't think I should. And, um, and actually one of the last times he had asked me before I actually decided to not take it, um, my father-in-law had passed away. And I just was like, I don't really think this is a good time for me to stop taking my, my antidepressants. And, and I had a realization probably about a year later that, um, Yes, these are challenges and, and sort of um, unexpected things that happen in, in my life, right, or in life in general. Um, but those things are going to keep happening, right, school or work or stress or unfortunate, you know, unfortunate incidences. And that shouldn't be my reason for, for not, for taking them. Um, I felt like the true test actually of my mental health would be to not take them and see what happens when some of these things happen. Um, and so, yeah, in October, basically it was like October, which is terrible. Actually, then I think about that and that's funny that that was probably terrible timing too. It was like a month before our five-year wedding anniversary, we were going to go on this big trip to Hawaii. And I was like, I'm going to stop taking my antidepressants. Um, and so I think to, to consider that right now, I would say probably I average about a seven or eight taking into the days that maybe I'm more stressed or things are going on at work or life. And, um, to me, it's, it, it just speaks to what, sort of the impact. Um, what were you in high school? Sort of the impact. Of, oh, in high school? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I probably hovered at best at a three or four. Um, I would say maybe the days that I was playing golf and winning, maybe a five. Yeah. Um, and are you off? But it was, it and, was very rare. And when you went off antidepressants, I think you're off now. Did your number go down? Um. I did struggle. I mean, when I stopped them, I didn't notice for a while actually anything different. And then I did have some dips um, okay. because I I realized that I spent you know a good portion of my adolescence and the the years that I would have really learned how to regulate myself, um, sort of with a buffer and kind of a a shield around some of that. And so I I started feeling like I would have these really strange emotions that I I feel like were dampened. Um, not gone because antidepressants didn't take them away, but I think like I started to feel if I was upset, I could feel myself really upset. And I was like, this is strange. Like, why am I so angry or why am I so upset? Um, or why am I so sad or why am I so happy? Like I would get really happy too. A very um, interesting experience, but um, it did dip for a, a couple months in there that were, it was just kind of hard to judge That's where I would be at. Um, but it never dropped as low as I was in high school. So I never, I would say if I had to average that in those times of the sort of regulating myself and kind of leveling out, um, I would say at worst, it was a five, you know, or maybe a four as compared to high school where it was, was much lower. So. And, um, we have this sort of, I don't know if it's an LDS thing or a Christian thing. It sort of says, by your fruits, you shall know them. And so sometimes when we come across a situation, um, a good person or a situation, we sort of try to figure out if it's a good thing by the resulting, um, the fruit, I think, to use a fruit tree example. Not that you're, anybody here is a fruit tree. Sorry about that. Um, but <laughs> but then I look at your life uh, since you've come out as trans, as a transgender man, and I look at every metric that is apparent, I would measure you 
and I'm not your parent or everything we'd hope for somebody in society or what we want people to accomplish is what you're accomplishing, Aiden. And I get really tenderhearted because you've been in a really difficult spot. And because you've been able to come out, to me, obviously, you're in a better spot, but you're also contributing society. And isn't that what we want? Is, you know, great men like you to be able to um, pursue your dreams and master's degrees and now contributing. And you're pretty young in your career. You know, you're 31 and you're going to have decades of contributing back to society, not only sharing your story as a transgender man, but with your skills at work. And so to me, I look at who you are and there's no, it doesn't cost me anything to just honor you as a transgender man, to use the name Aiden, to not have you, to not have to wonder what level of transition socially or medically you've done. To me, it's just a sign of respect that I call you Aiden, and I recognize your gender identity, and I just want to support you and put my hands on your back as you're making your way going forward in your life. And and so that's why I'm honored to have you share your story. And um, and let's go back to Marcia as you're hearing your son. And I, I love what you said that that um, LDS woman said about Aiden. You actually said three things. I wrote down two, kind, compassionate, and, and I, confident. And confident. Yes. And you've got this now son that no son's perfect. Our our kids aren't perfect. I assume Aiden's not perfect. But how does it make you feel to see Aiden succeeding in life like this? And and then also kind of share why you and Aiden decided to talk about this and share your story with others. Well, I think I did kind of allude to the fact that I'm just so proud of him. Um you know, he could have chosen a different path, um, but I think he has allowed this journey to really define him as a positive person that wants to make a contribution to society. So, you know, I, I really am so proud of him. I also feel so honored and privileged because whenever we speak, I get to hear more of his story and how many parents that have older children get to really hear these vulnerable um, feelings of their kids, you know? So I think the work that we've done and the area that we're in allows this authenticity and vulnerability to be comfortable. I, I can't imagine if we weren't doing a podcast or speaking that I'd say, uh, Aiden, you know, tell me what's going, you know, what's going on. Tell me the deep, you know, parts of your life or, you know, how you feel that wouldn't, that probably wouldn't happen. But, um, you know, that's cool. Doing these podcasts or being, you know, he is his real self. I am my real self. And, you know, we've had some really amazing conversations when we wrote our book, um, tell us about oh, your yes, book. Which I brought a copy for you, Richard. Thank you, Marcia. It's called Two Spirits, One Heart. You know, there were so many parts of our journey that I really felt ashamed of myself. And um, and so basically this book is written from a mother's perspective. But Aiden, you know, it's his story, my story. And he went through every page and edited with me like oh mama this maybe this is a little bit off here you know so um and I remember we were sitting at the computer one time and you know I just said 
you know, Aiden, I wish I could go back and be a better mother when you were in high school. I wish, I wish I could have advocated for you more so you weren't so alone. And I wish I could have done more so that you would feel supported. And he said, Mama, everything I went through has made me the man I am today. And so I think writing this book and doing all the work that we're doing has been really, really healing. Um, it's allowed me to heal from uh, some of the stuff that I've gone through so that I can really love him with my whole heart and not kind of hold back because I feel bad. It's honest. So, you know, this book, I think, has helped that piece. Um, of course, we wrote it to help other people as well. Um, and it was interesting because it, it was easy in the beginning to start writing. And then we got to the really hard parts. You know, there's parts that I'm not so proud of my reaction, but we put it all in there because, you know, people, they don't just want to see how good you were, how well you handled. They want to see the, the real parts too. So, um, yeah, I think it's really been a very healing part of our journey. And, um, and another piece that we're really proud of, of something that we put out into the world, and um, we hope will help people, just like this podcast that you're doing, Richard, you know. And we'll link to this book, Two Spirits, One Heart. We'll link in our um, social media posts and the podcast post to this book. Um, you do this full time now. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're in Salt Lake City. Um, doing a work, we're taping this on a Friday in August, and the next tomorrow on a Saturday, we're doing an LGBTQ workshop. So, how why did you step in the space sort of full time, Marcia? You know, people kept saying, Oh, you're an advocate, you're an activist. And I would say, No, I'm just a mother who loves my son. <laughs> and that's what I, you know, and people kept pointing that out to me, you know, No, you're an activist. I said, No, I'm just a mother who loves my son. One day I woke up and I thought, if this world is going to change, then I'm going to do something to be part of it. So I know that I've contributed to a world that's going to be safer for Aiden and that he's going to be able to live the best life that he can. So I don't know. One day it just happened. And, you know, when you make that decision, all of a sudden things come out of the woodwork. People want you to come speak. People want you to do this. Uh, that's how the book got written, because I was writing another book about charter schools, and it just wasn't going well. Not wasn't going well. Um, it just, like, wasn't my passion. And so the uh, consultant that I was working with, a literary consultant, said, you know, Marsha, the book that you should be writing is the one about you and Aiden. And I said, really? And he goes, oh, yeah. That's the story that needs to be out there. And you talk about this love that you have for your son and what he went through. So, I mean, I think that's what happened. Um, I started out because I loved my son, but as I started to do this work, I, I started to fall in love with this community. And I, you know, you always, I, I think when you, there's a point where you think, this is my path, you know, <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to go. And so that's what happened. And opportunities would come. I was asked to be on a board at PFLAG and, you know, speak at different things, uh, different places. Aiden and I were invited to the White House to meet President Obama. Wow. And that was like a really 
Aiden calls it an epic moment. Agreed. Yeah. And so, you know, when all these things come up, you just keep following your heart and you just keep giving as much as you can. Um, And so that's kind of what happened. I retired in 2011. I actually worked for the same charter school that Aiden uh, works for now. And I just said, this is what I want to do full time. I want to, you know, go speak, write. I'm a columnist columnist for a Japanese newspaper. And um, I'm on a diversity and inclusion. I'm a a co-chair for that committee uh, with PFLAG. And also we started a a conference for the Japanese American LGBTQ community about five years ago. So I can't do it working full time. so, you know, it's just kind of like I've been led to this place and even to you today through Emerson and Darcy. And I don't know. It's where it's, I want to be. It's good you're here. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking one of the things I hear sometimes is trans people. I don't believe this, Aiden, um, about you or about trans people. They're just kind of confused and um, they might even go to LGBT organizations, get more confused, or a therapist and get more confused. So some would say this is just people that are confused. But I, I bring that up just to kind of dispel that myth that I, I look at your life, Aiden, and who you are, and what you're able to accomplish in your emotional strength and your marriage, and how you're giving back to society. And I don't think you're confused because I look at. I look at where you were in high school and your emotional health and your feeling of sort of gender dysphoria or mismatch or just not being comfortable. And I look at where you are now. So I'm very at peace that um, this is who you are and who you were meant to be. And that now you can go on and live your life. So that's, that's not really for you. I'm, you know, that it's sort of for my audience that sometimes might think that. And I wrote this, um, and then I want to give it back to Aiden for some final comments. I wrote this on my Facebook post, which is mostly an LDS audience, but it'll give you an idea of our listeners that where I'm coming from. Being transgender is not the result of Satan, sign of the last days, or society going downhill. It's not a mental illness. It's not a sin, just like identifying as gay or lesbian is not a sin. Before making these statements, please listen to our transgender friends. Sometimes we make these statements to keep things in a nice, tidy box for us, but it might actually keep us from learning new and factually accurate information and stretch us to put prior conclusions aside. And our prior conclusions may add to the burden of others. While some may feel being trans conflicts with the the family, a proclamation of the world, and that's an LDS um, document that I believe in, many of our transgender friends Feelings align with the gender is eternal language. I had to listen to my trans friends to understand this. At first, this space was complicated for me. It took listening and being open to learn uh, new things, letting go of earlier opinions. But now it's easy to listen, call someone by their preferred name, recognize their gender, gender, and love and accept them as a fellow human being. That costs me nothing. That means every, everything to them. I did this because of my baptism covenants as an active Latter-day Saint to bear, mourn, and comfort. It's been transforming to me to have gen, transgender people in my life and the things they teach me on how to be a better disciple of Christ. I realized I didn't need to give up any of my beliefs 
in her commitment to our LDS church to accept my transgender friends and honor their lived experiences. So that's just a little bit of uh, my journey. And um, one other thing I want to read before I hand this back to you, Aiden, for some final comments is, I love this idea of Henry Norwin, a religious writer, and he talks about the wounded healer. And a lot of my listeners hear this on every podcast, so they're rolling their eyes. But it's this idea, a minister's minister's service, and that's who both of you are. Um, A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. And so we're all the wounded healers. We all have really difficult things in our life. But that's why, Aiden, you're a hero to me, because you're alive. And now you're leading other people out of the desert. Um, And I know that how many LGBTQ people have reached out to you and Mary, you know, who understands LGBTQ and you're healing people. Uh, because you know that road and and what Marsh is doing also, you're a little wounded (laughs) as you talk in that book. And we've all said things we wish we hadn't said or wish we'd done better, but you're taking that information and then healing and giving vision and walking other parents out the desert. So I think that's a great responsibility that we each have to take our experiences and help other people. So both of you are heroes to me for this is a beautiful love story. And um, Aiden, just any final comments as we're wrapping up? And maybe I'll see if your mom has some final comments. She has a final comment, too. So Aiden, we'll send it back to you for any comments you have. (laughs) And maybe any advice you Uh, have for parents or younger LGBTQ people. Sure. Okay, let's see here. Um, Well, I I really want to say thank you to you um, for, for kind of this opportunity, I think, my experience with faith um, hasn't always been <laughs> the most glamorous. And so um, it's something that I, I have, I don't hold grudges over or I've made, and I've made peace with, but um, I think the more that we've had the opportunity to engage um, and reconnect with faith-based groups, um, I think this gives me um, sort of more, I don't know. Um, just I think just opens up my mind a little bit more to to something that I kind of had given up on, you know, when when my church sort of said that that this wasn't really at a place for me. Um, and so I think I I really appreciate the things that you that you wrote on your Facebook or the things that you've shared um, because I think it's hard anytime too that. Um, to kind of break away maybe from, or to, to, I don't know, open up the mind or um, in, yeah. in a way that, that maybe people thought wasn't possible or shouldn't be allowed. And um, I know Emerson kind of went out on a limb to, to support us and invite us in. And I would assume that that may be the case for you as well. And so I, I really appreciate that. Um, and just kind of uh, you're, uh, you're willing to do that for us. So. You bet. And I realize, uh, you know, it's <laughs> part of my religious beliefs that want me to do this. So I, um, it's, so I, I don't 
at first I saw a potential conflict and thought I had to give up something, but then I just thought, no, this is, this is the core of my religion is to love and learn and understand and lift others' burdens. And so, but I understand the road you've been on with your own um, faith that um, invited you to leave. <laughs> or, and so I admire your just kindness is that space has kind of bitten you a little bit. And so it'd, easier, it'd be easier to be real binary and just say all of that world is going to be painful for me. And that's just kind of one of your points of emotional maturity, Aiden, is that you're recognize that there's good there. Um, and you're saying very kind things about the LDS faith or experiences you've had. And so that's a sign of a lot of what I would call spiritual and emotional maturity in you. Um, and that's a credit to you and just the core character that you are. Um, and you need to hear that because it's really true, Aiden. Um, and I now get a little tears uh, I, in my eyes, even though you're in a car in California <laughs> and I'm sitting in Salt Lake. So, and you have a great life ahead of you, Aiden. And the God I believe in loves you and loves all his LGBTQ children. And I think you're created the way he intended to. I don't think something went sideways and he's doing a head face palm up in heaven going, oh, no, what happened? I think <laughs> this is just part of the beautiful needed diversity that is part of his plan for his children. And part of that is so we can better learn and grow and support each other. So I, I as an ally, am trying to bring voice to LGBTQ people. But in, in some ways, you are rescuing me and teaching me how to treat other people the way the God I believe in would want us to treat others. So it's, now I gave you the last word, and I just went off on my own little spiel. So. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, in terms of advice, though, um, I think I don't have kids yet, so I can't say it's easy or not easy. But um, I think that in general, what I find to be really helpful um, in my own experience and the experience of some of the youth that we've worked with through our PFLAG chapter um, is just that um, having parents to just li like really just listen to what their child is saying. Um, it doesn't mean they have to do what they're saying. Um, and it doesn't mean to listen, you know, it's not a command or a demand. It's, but really hear what their child is saying and listen to some of the emotion behind that. Because I think um, kids may not, they might be afraid to say exactly the words that that would be really transparent and easy, but they might hint at something um, to try to feel it out. And I think if, if you're really listening um, to your child or to a family friend or somebody you know, um, you'll hear it um, because you know them and you love them. And so uh, you'll hear that in their voice or that hesitation um, and sort of that, that wondering, if I tell you more, what, what will happen, you know? Um, and I think so many youth that we've worked with, in my, uh, Mary and I have worked with, with our PFLAG chapter um, and just in the volunteering that we've done, that just doesn't always happen. I think like life gets busy and I understand that too. And so a lot of conversation takes place in multitasking. So cooking dinner and asking your kids about the day. And um, sometimes it sort of just becomes like a, just like a checkbox, like, okay, how was your day? It was good. And like not really listening to, to, the, to the message underneath that. Um, and sort of really sit down and kind of have those conversations and um, 
and kind of listen to sometimes what's not as easily seen or heard. Um, and I also think it's difficult, but reaching out for support um, to organizations like PFLAG or, um, you know, whatever, the, if there's a local center um, or someplace that, like a community, community organization um, that can provide resources, uh, I think is, you know, it could, it could be life-changing. Uh, PFLAG definitely did that for my family. Um, and I think that uh, it's scary, right, to reach out and ask for help, but um, that's what those organizations are there for. Uh, and it's really a judgment-free place. It's um, it's about giving that support, you know, as as humans to each other. Um, Thank I you. I think that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Aiden, and well done. I love your advice. Marcia, your final thoughts. Well, Aiden talked about PFLAGs, so is it okay if I just give the yes, website? please. Because I think it could be uh, a good resource. And... It is uh, www, and PFLAG is P-F-L-A-G dot org, O-R-G. And if you go there, uh, you can look to see a local chapter that you can go and visit if you want to, or you could send them an, uh, you know, an email, and maybe they'll respond. Um, I don't know... Um, Aiden, if you want to put your email or my email, so people, after they hear this, if they have a question, if they want to reach out to us, do you think yeah, that's a good idea? Yeah, and I'll circle back with you, and we'll write a podcast description, and oh, we can good. decide to put that in there. Okay. That's great. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to just highlight one person. His name is uh, George Dusen. Do you know yes, George? Yes, I do know George. And he's coming out to California to share his story with us at uh, the CCEJ, we're doing an LGBTQ symposium. And I've looked at his website, thepeculiar.org, yes. and he's collecting stories. So, I mean, there's a lot of people doing amazing work. And I really want to thank you, Richard, for having us on. Um, I think that the name of your podcast is so beautiful. Listen, learn, and love. Is that correct? That's it, Marcia. <gasps> And it's, I, I think what Aiden was talking about is that if, if we as parents could just listen, learn, and love our children, well, that would just be such an amazing um, connection and for our families. So anyway, thank you. So Aiden, thank you, Mary. Thank you for being, we're counting you on the podcast, Mary, by the way, because you're sitting there driving and been <laughs> such a big part of this story. I'll tell her. She, and, she has no idea because... She's uh, just driving, and I have headphones in, but <laughs> I'll tell her she's now been You're a true millennial with headphones in. Um, and Mary and Izumi, is that how it's? Correct. Izumi, A-I-Z-U-M-I. And thank you for being on the podcast. Um, President and Sister Fersh, Emerson and Darcy, thank you for your leadership um, creating Zion in the Long Beach East Stake. and. And just helping, I have the Pool of Bethesda picture. It's a Christian story of Christ going to those that have the hardest road um, in our in our home here. And I look at that and I think of who are the most marginalized, not because God marginalized them, because society marginalized them. And what's then my responsibility as a non-marginalized person to reach out and bring them in? 
And so that's the focus of this podcast and grateful for all the people in our communities that are doing that and thank our listeners. And I want to give a shout out to Tom Garbett, our producer. I always forget to thank him, but he's awesome. And thank our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler.